Hello, sweaty beach. Hello, other sweaty beach. <laughs> I'm actually not sweaty right now because I was just sitting by the air conditioner. How does it feel to live my dream? <laughs> Amazing. You want me to rub it in to your sweatiness? No. I can't stand being sweaty. It's very um, sensory overload for me. Yeah. Logan is like always cold. So our sleeping is like... I hate it. <laughs> I don't hate I it. I actually... we. I'm very comfortable. We've got... We've like figured it out, I think. Like he likes thick... Thick? 6,000 blankets on the bed. But we have a fan going at all times in the window pulling the cool air in. So... Mm. It's nice. We have the air conditioner. We rearranged upstairs so our bedroom is now out in the carpeted area and we put the air conditioner on my side of the bed so it's lovely mm -hmm. and Megan takes the thick like duvet blanket and then I just have like a thinner blanket and honestly yeah. having two separate blankets is amazing because yeah. I love a good cuddle but sometimes in the middle of the night I'm like get Don't the touch me away from me I'm the same way. I need my space so <laughs> but Here's my thing. With someone who's always cold, it's much easier to add another layer to get warm than it yeah. is to take things off. Because if you're so hot, even like, say you get naked and you're still hot, you need something. Yeah. He and can like, do more layers. The, yeah, even like if we're in the same car, he, he will like turn the fan completely off and just sit with no airflow. And I'm like... Do you want me to pass away in the passenger seat right now? Like, what is your um, problem? <laughs> no, even like in the winter, I prefer to have the heat on but very low. But if it needs to like heat up and it gets too hot in the car, I have to roll the windows down to get some sort of like fresh yeah. feeling airflow. Like I can't, yeah. it, no. Mm -mm. And even if the air is on like the, the middle thing, like not too cold, not hot, it needs to be moving. If it's yeah. just stagnant, I feel like I'm being buried Suffocating. alive. Suffocating. Yeah. Yes. It's horrible. Hey, so welcome back, puppies. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to our channel. You know what I just discovered that I sent Haley a screenshot of? We have one download in Australia, so oi, mate. Um, you guys, you guys, who I... Also, yes, Mr. Austin, <laughs> I'm just like flabbergasted. Um, we have 15 downloads in China, one in Australia, one in Germany, and one in Canada. And 339 in the United States. Yes. Oh my God. 339 like, downloads on on um, Apple Podcasts. Or yeah. like all together without Spotify, because Spotify is its own separate thing, but... And Spotify's got a decent amount too, so like, yeah. thank you guys so much. This is amazing, and I'm yeah. still so shocked with myself at how comfortable I am with being like, yeah, I've got a podcast, go listen. Yeah, I had uh, some people at work today, um, the post about Crater Lake, they like thought that I had gone to Crater Lake on my day off, and I'm like, no, it's my podcast, Like, I talk about some pretty cool things if you want to go listen. Like, <laughs> I might talk shit about our job, but like, I don't think I did in that but episode. But I don't think you have anything like specifically like no names or anything. And I'm sure no. a lot of them feel the same way. Yeah. And if so they think that you're talking it. about them, then they should just look in the mirror. Indeed. <laughs> Indeedy doodly do. But yeah, well, 15 yeah, downloads in China blows my mind. I didn't even know that that was possible. 
Like, I thought we would just stay in the United States, honestly. Like, obviously it's possible to go outside of that, but I didn't expect that to happen. No, so. me neither. Like, who wants to listen to two American bitches blab? Apparently, 15 Literally. people in China, one person in Australia, and one person in Germany. Yeah. And one Canadian. That's not quite as surprising, because we're so close. Yeah. If any of you who are in those areas are listening, like, thank you so much. Welcome. Right, thank and you for send being us- here. Send us a message or something, because, like, yeah. I would love to make some podcast friends that are from other places, like, yeah. amazing. Definitely. Talk That's to us. Cool. Interact with us. We are friendly-ass beaches. Talk to me. <laughs> Pop, talk to me, Papa. Well, Sweaty, what are you educating us about today? So, I'm bringing you guys a uh, two, two more survival stories that kind of intertwined with each other. It is going to be kind of a gnarly one. It involves attempted murder, sexual assault, and it's it's when we get to the parts that are particularly like rough, I will mention it beforehand and I will try to put like uh like timestamps in the show notes. So if you do want to skip those parts, you can get to the exact spot so you don't have to like figure out where the rough spot ends. So if that's what you need to do. Because it was like, I uh, I had a hard time figuring out what I was going to do this week. And I just landed on this last night. Because at work yesterday, I was listening to um, I Survived, their podcast. I was listening to Morgan's story, who I'm going to tell. And I was like almost crying at work. It was so insane. And like... Oh, Lord. It's, it's something about like hearing the person who survived, like their story in their own words and obviously i will link these episodes it's a two-part episode it's morgan and tally's story but yeah something about hearing them tell their story is really just emotional and definitely yeah i uh i definitely recommend going to listen if you're up for it because i i didn't copy down word for word because i want you to hear it from them you know fully And I think that there's something so emotional and something that, like, connects you to their story more when you hear them tell it themselves. And I think for me, when I hear people or, like, especially in, like, on the show I Survived or, like, all the documentaries and stuff about, like, Elizabeth Smart, Mm -hmm. seeing them and hearing them after and knowing all of the things that they went through and that they're still going on and then sharing their story... Is just yeah. incredible because, you know, with true crime, we hear about murder a lot. We don't necessarily yeah. hear as much about people who, are, who have survived these horrific things. And it's a whole different level of holy shit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Morgan Rowan and Talia, not Talia, sorry, Tally Shapiro, their survival stories. So we're going to start with Morgan. Um, Morgan was a teenager living in Los Angeles in the 1960s, and she said about this time, The 60s were just an unusual time. It was a time where everybody tried to love each other. All we cared about was peace, and we wanted to end the war. Oh, and I was going to say, I have two clips from that podcast that I'm going to play, one from Morgan and one from Tally, so you can hear their voice. And these these two clips were... Things that I could read as a quote from them, but I think it's better to hear it from them, you know? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, more impactful and more um, personal. And also, yeah. I want to say, I think it's really cool that her name is Morgan and she was born in the 60s. Or that yeah. this happened in, uh, was a teenager in the 60s, meaning yeah. she was born in the 50s. And I uh-huh. I didn't know the name Morgan was, was even cool. around then. So, yeah. So at this time in the 60s, Morgan was much younger than most of the people she hung out with. She was like 15, 15 to 16, while most others were 18 to 22, which is eek, but it is Also what it tracks, is, but... I feel like we yeah. probably, I mean, not me when I was 16, but I know like when I was like 18 or so, we were hanging out with a lot of older people. Yeah. Her and her friends would go to Sunset Strip where there were hundreds of people just walking around in the street and everyone was super kind and just like talking to everyone, making friends. And she says, quote, the music was incredible. Sunset Strip was just a strip of different nightclubs and they all left their doors open. So you would just be out in the street, you know, just singing or dancing or whatever because you could hear all the music coming from the clubs, which sounds like something I would have loved as a teenager. Now, I'd probably have to be a little drunk to enjoy it, but... <laughs> I feel like it sounds like overload, like so many people and all yeah. different music. If everyone was playing the same music, imagine that. That would yeah. be amazing. Like, the same yeah. music at the same time, but multiple different music, plus all the people, uh, I don't know. I think I'd have to try to zone in on one specific song. Right, right. But she says that even with the bad things that happened at the end... The 60s were a fun and exciting time to be alive, and she wouldn't trade it for anything. When Morgan was 13 years old, she was outside of the teenage nightclub with a group of her friends, and a man that she referred to as Rod and his friend were also standing there and talking, and one of her friends, like, nudged her and was like, hey, that's Rod, and everybody, like, had a crush on him, I guess. (laughs) But she said, quote, everybody knew him. He had a big presence. He was a very good-looking man. He was very self-confident, he had a very nice smile, he laughed with his whole body, and was very animated. He was the kind of person you wanted to sit around and know. So Morgan wandered over to where they were, to where Rod and his friend were, and eventually it was just Rod, his friend, and Morgan standing there, like all of her friends, I assume, went inside the club. And she said that she scratched his arm very lightly with with her fingernails, and then he put his arm around her and hugged her close and laughed and she's 13 so like she le- she likes the attention so she continues to do it to the point where it aggravated him and uh i guess when when rod's friend walked away rod grabbed morgan by the arm and pulled her to the back area of the club she said he was a completely different person he was dark and ugly and frightening and my feet didn't even touch the ground when he got her, got her i know it's so scary When he got her to the back of the club, she doesn't remember what happened. He'd knocked her out. She woke up against a wall with pressure on her chest. When she pushed the pressure off of her chest, it was a dumpster. So he had put her behind the dumpster and then shoved her into the wall. What the fuck? How old is this motherfucker? I think he was like in college when this happened. And she's 13. And, And not that, I mean... Physically, a lot of younger women tend to be smaller, and also a 13-year-old in general is pretty small. But you could have just been like, hey, can you stop that? Instead of fucking knocking her out and basically throwing her away. Yeah, definitely. So, after she freed herself, she ran inside the club and told them what happened. And 
Because of this, Rod was banned from the club, and he was furious that he got banned, blamed her, essentially. He told people constantly how much he hated Morgan after this, and whenever she would see him in public, she would immediately leave the area. Unfortunately, she saw him pretty frequently over the next three years, but she always kept her distance. But in um, 1968, when Morgan was 16, she had just found out that she and her family were about to make a move from California to, to New York. And about four days before they were set to leave, Morgan was on the Sunset Strip with some of her friends and Rod just kind of appeared in the crowd. And she said, normally I would leave, but I only had four days left, so I wasn't gonna go anywhere. And eventually Rod approached her and said, I hear you're leaving and I don't want you to leave until I get to say I'm sorry and you tell me you forgive me. Which is like, Ew. why are you making that choice for me? I don't have to forgive you. <laughs> no, and also I'm 16 years old so I'm leaving because my parents are telling me to. Yeah. If you really wanted to be forgiven, he could have just said so we can make amends or so I can apologize. Not yeah. so, I, so I can make you forgive me. Yeah. Her response Ew. was basically like, if that's what it takes for you to leave me alone, like, I forgive you, just please go away. And he did. And then a while later, Morgan and her friends decided to go to a local IHOP, and they made their way to a car. Her two friends were in the back with her, and she was sat in the middle. The man who invited them was in the passenger seat, and when the driver got, finally got in the car, it was Rod. Oh, God. And Morgan immediately tried to get out and leave, but her friends convinced her to stay, telling her she was safe because they were with her. No. Like, oh, God. I'm nothing against the friends, but, like, if your friend is uncomfortable, like, you all should leave, you know? Right. And obviously this guy is dangerous, and you're yeah. all teenage women, and now there's two men. If it was the three of them and just Rod, that might be a little bit different, but the three of them and two men, one that we know yeah. is already dangerous, that's like a whole different level. Definitely. So they drove to the IHOP and got out of the car, and by this time Morgan said she was calming down a bit, and then she calmed down more when rod ignored her while they were in the restaurant and she had just convinced herself that she was overreacting and that everything was fine she always said, go with your gut even if you're wrong definitely. in the end your gut is going to save you because you'd rather be wrong once and right nine times you know what i mean yep. like definitely yeah. um she said i went into the bathroom and there was a payphone by the bathroom door and she said her father always taped a, a dime in her shoe so she'd be able to call home if she needed to, which is Aww. fucking precious. And brilliant. Yes. And she said, I took the dime out of my shoe and I stood there at the payphone. I was going to call my dad and tell him to come get me. Eventually, I just decided I wanted to stay with my friends. So I put the dime in my pocket. When I turned around, Rod was standing there watching me. And he told her that everyone was ready to leave so everyone got back into the car and at this point in the um the podcast she like she makes like i don't know how to word this i don't want to come off as like rude to her but she's like blaming herself she's like saying she could like she's victim blaming herself in a way you know she's like i stupidly got back in the car i should have known or something like that and it just makes me want to hug were... her right and like she was a young person like you have to forgive yourself everyone yeah. makes mistakes especially before your brain is even close to fully formed so 
That's, definitely. That's really sad, but I can see why she would feel that way. Yes, definitely. So it should have only been a couple minutes driving back to Sunset Strip, but instead he turned a corner and drove down to a house. When he parked, he invited everyone inside for a soda, and all her friends jumped out and went inside. She didn't want to go, but it was dark, and she wasn't even 100% sure where she was, so she decided to sit on the porch for a while. And eventually her friend Mike came out and was basically like, it's dark out here, you're alone, just come inside. You know, we're all in here, you're safe. Which convinced her and she went inside. When she got in there, she noticed a few of Rod's older friends hanging out as well. She said it was loud and everyone was smoking pot. She didn't want to sit down, so she just sat. Oh, so she just sat. <laughs> <laughs> She didn't want to sit down, so she just started pacing from where everyone was hanging out, out into the living room and back. And she was only away from her friends for a moment when Rod approached her and grabbed her by the arm, just like he had before, suddenly, without giving her a chance to think. Oh, and God. this is the part where it's going to get a little gnarly. If you need to skip it, that's totally fine. Sam, are you okay to hear it? Yes. Okay. So he threw her into he threw her head first into an empty room. She staggered to her feet and turned to face him and saw that he was holding a metal bar about five feet long. He Jesus. dropped the bar and I know. He dropped the bar into some brackets under the door so it couldn't be opened. Mm. She backed away while he kept coming towards her. He took his belt off and he wrapped it around his fist. And as soon as he was close enough, he uh, punched her right between the eyes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And because listening to her describe years, this is like... Ugh. Ugh. All because three years prior, he did something to her that resulted yeah. in consequences for his actions. And yeah. he's holding it against this 16-year-old girl. If he's college-aged, he's at least, what, 23 or older by 22 23 or older by now i'm pretty sure he was in college he might have been a little bit younger than that but still even then he was he was older than he her. was older yeah so she fell back and she said she felt her head smack the wall behind her while she fell to her knees he had a knife with him and, and i guess she had like this tie around her neck like a little scarf type thing and he used the knife to cut it off and used the tie to tie her hands behind her back Ugh. um then he wrapped her hair around his fist and shoved his folded up belt into her mouth down her throat <gasps> so oh, far Jesus. that she could not breathe oh my fucking god yeah um then he he lifted her by her hair and punched her in the stomach repeatedly and she said she could feel her ribs breaking blood was coming up but was blocked by the belt in her mouth, so it was leaking into her lungs, and she was drowning <gasps> in blood. Oh my fucking... Yeah. This guy is messed the fuck... Like, seriously? Dude. Oh my god. Wait until you find out who he is. Okay. Oh god. He's horrifying. But, um, I'm, like, getting chills. This is a tough one, but... My heart is racing. Yeah. He cut the rest of her clothes off and continued punching her in the stomach. It, she said it seemed like he enjoyed punching her in her already broken ribs. 
Ew. Yeah. Ew. Um, ew, ew. Yeah. This is when he began sexually assaulting her. Um, and when her friends realized she had, she was missing, they started pounding on the door. And it's wild because there were other people in the vicinity and he just continued. Like, he didn't give a fuck. <sighs> he yelled at them to go away while muttering to himself and getting more and more angry. They managed to break the door, but they couldn't get past the metal bar that he'd put in front of the door. Mm-hmm. So they they kept pushing against the bar and yelling. This really pissed him off, so he put his hands around her neck and started strangling her. Oh my god. And I think, maybe it's just because I'm so hypervigilant, but I think the second that I had seen that she and him were out of the room at the same time, yeah, I would have been on the move. And it sounds to me like her friends did react relatively quickly, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think, just as who I am, I... I would have not not blaming them. They didn't do anything bad, as far yeah, as totally. I know so far. But it's just like ugh. I'm just thinking like she was pacing back and forth. They probably just thought she was just like in the living room still and like on her way back, because it seems like this all happened like in a really quick amount of time. Right. Um. And then once they I... realized they. Yeah. Yeah. So. <sighs> I know. So she said there was a ton of commotion and loud noises, and suddenly she could feel cool air, and she heard glass breaking. And the noise and the, the cool air was her friend Mike. He had run outside of the house and was breaking back in through a window to try to get to her. Oh, wow. I know. I I love Mike. Like, he uh, he really stepped up, and yeah. we'll see oh, more. Oh, I have chills. She said, quote, Rod got up and went and lifted the bar off the door, and he was just standing there naked from the waist down with my blood all over his shirt, and he said, take her, just take her. And that's what I hear in my nightmares, just take her, like, I own her, but you can have her now. Oh, that made me literally ill. I feel like I want to vomit. Yeah. (sighs) I know. It's rough. Fuck, dude. You alright? Yeah. Oh, it's just sickening. Okay. Yeah, I know. It is. And also makes me Fuck very angry. Guy. He is dead now, just so you know. And I'll good, I hope that. it was a horrible death. Oh, good. I want to hear how he died. <laughs> it's not going to be in this part, though. <laughs> how fucking dare you? Well, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to... At least I told you he was dead. <laughs> okay, true. Um. Okay, so... When the belt was finally taken out of Morgan's mouth, she was vomiting blood and she still couldn't breathe. She was wearing nothing but pieces of her shirt and she ran down the street just to get away from him. Her friends followed- this is like a fucking nightmare. Her friends followed her and when her friend Mike caught up with her, he said, keep running, he's coming. (gasps) Full chills right now. Literally covered in goosebumps. Yeah. So they ran down an alleyway, and there was a dumpster with a fence around it. So they went into that fence, locked it, and hid behind the dumpster. And she said her first thought was, I can't believe I'm behind a dumpster again. Oh my god. Oh, I know. I don't even, I don't have words. I know. It's bonkers. And uh, she was still vomiting blood and shaking so violently that she broke a couple teeth. (gasps) He... I know. Oh my fucking god. He'd gotten into his car and followed them. 
they watched his headlights flicker across the alleyway a few times and her friends kept having to, having to cover her mouth each time so he wouldn't be able to hear her coughing and give away where they were. Oh my god. And she said, quote, you could see the slat you could see through the slats in the fence, so for one quick second I could see his face as he was searching for us. He did that four or five times and it was the rest was survival. This was terror. That was pure terror. Which I don't I Yeah. There there's probably no understanding this fucking monster scumbag like I don't there's not even a word to describe him that's bad enough but the fact that you you held on to this grudge for that long and then did this to her but then said take her take her and then ch- like chased her again there's obviously mm-hmm. something you, your brain is not like connected on both hemispheres or something like yeah you are fucking less than unwell yeah deranged He's fucked up. So, eventually when they realized Rod wasn't coming after them anymore, they had to go, they obviously had to get away as quickly as possible. They were at the back of the stores on Sunset Boulevard, and Morgan said she just walked out into the middle of the street and stood there. When a car screeched to a halt, she ran over and said, take me out of here, please. And the man driving didn't speak English. He just started speaking Spanish to her, and his wife got out of the car and wrapped a sweater around her and Aww. brought her in I know and brought her into the back seat of the car. Her two friends got in the front with the man driving and directed him to where they needed to go. The woman held the her hospital? In the, just wait, okay, it'll make sense um not I mean not necessarily, but just wait (laughs) it is the 60s so yeah the woman held her in the back seat of the car and kept making the sign of a cross while praying um when they got to their destination and mike came to get morgan out of the back seat she kept saying cohiva and when mike i think that's how you say it in spanish i might be wrong um when mike said he didn't understand the man in the front said blanket she wants a blanket and oh And then Morgan says, so he went to get a blanket and she got out of the car. She wrapped the blanket around me and the pain in her eyes. I knew I could never tell my mother ever. I could not bring that home. I could not have my mother look at me like that ever. Which breaks. I'm going to barf everywhere. I know. I don't think I've ever had so many chills on my body before. Um. And just so anyone knows, just in case they're ever in a situation and they come across a Spanish-speaking person and they need help, to say help, you say ayúdame, which is help me. Ayúdame. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, I don't know it in any other languages, but Spanish is a very, you know, um, popular and widespread language. So hopefully that can help someone. But oh my fucking God. Yeah. Ugh. It just makes me so sad. Like, in a few days, she, she was went... never going to have to even think about this motherfucker again. Because she exactly. was going to have moved across the United States. Yeah. And then it just so happens that she ends up intertwined with him again. Yeah. And he's still a piece of garbage. That's an insult yep. to garbage. but It is. 
He's the inside of a fucking septic tank that hasn't been cleaned in a thousand years. It just, it, it breaks my heart because she just got, like, brutalized and just unbelievably traumatized and she's thinking about being judged. Like, it's or her like, fault. Right, and then also thinking about the mental well-being of her own mother, like, yeah. what a fucking good soul. It's so sad. So, they went into the house and Morgan's friends helped clean her up and treat her wounds they wrapped her in a big army blanket and sat, and she sat on the couch shivering. A police officer eventually appeared, looked at her, and said, Wow, that's gonna be a shiner. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, fuck this cop. She didn't want to talk to them because she didn't want her parents to know what had happened. So her friends were trying to tell him what happened, and after they finished, he said, You know, you went willingly into his car, you went into his house, I don't see where this guy goes to jail for rape, but if you want me to talk to him, you'll have to come with me and show me where the house is. Fuck that cop. Just because I went willing to into willingly into somebody's car. Sorry, I cut you off. Just because I went willingly into somebody's car and into somebody's house does not make it my fault that they decided to do this. And she was also with a group of people, so she exactly. thought she they might have had some safety. And also, regardless of the rape, what about the fact that she's sitting there bleeding out of her face with broken teeth and yeah. multiple injuries? Yeah. What about that part of it, you fucking douchewad? Yep. Wow. Wow. And also, they just described this brutal, brutal attack, and he's like, come back, show me where the house is. You really want me to go back there? I don't care if I'm with a police officer. I don't feel safe anywhere near this guy. And if he sees the police, he's probably going to freak out even more. Yeah. Wow. They were even more untrained then than they are now. Yeah. (sighs) She understandably refused to go to the house. I would do the same thing if I was her. And she refused to sign anything or go with him. So he left. Also, I want to say that if you or a friend ever goes through anything like this, don't clean your wounds. I know it's hard and you just want to get it off of you, but if you want to get justice or anything or go to the hospital, they need to be able to see what's actually happening and possibly get DNA. So please, please don't take a shower. Don't clean yourself. Yeah. As hard as it is, think of us sitting here telling you you can do it because you need that evidence because unfortunately the justice system sucks and anything you can have to back yourself up is necessary so as well-meaning as these friends were it was forever ago we didn't know these things dna wasn't really prevalent back then as much as it became like 10 to 20 years later they they were very well-meaning but just just please try not to because there's no salvaging that once it's gone. Yeah. I think that like back then it people, women who women and men who were sexually assaulted, they weren't generally believed in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And in her case, she didn't want her parents to know. So Mm -hmm. maybe she's like, just get it off me. Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing I can do. So well, and when you see but, yeah. a wound, you want to treat it. So they yeah. did They did not do anything wrong. 
whatsoever. No, I, I hope not. it doesn't sound like that. No. Um, but, and I can totally understand why she wouldn't want her parents to know because then they would just worry or who knows. You might think your parents might get mad at you or blame you, but in the end, the truth is the truth. And regardless of how other people react, you got to have your own back as much as you possibly can. Definitely. So Mike um, actually took her home with him to an apartment on Menace Beach where his neighbor was a nurse. His neighbor came over and helped Morgan cough the blood out, out of her lungs. Then the neighbor sent Mike to the store and taped her ribs for her. And she stayed with Mike for a few days. And about this time she said, Michael was warm and kind. He took care of me. He made me sit on the beach every day and watch the sun come up. He told me every day, it's a new day, it's a better day. Oh. Just, just like, everybody needs a Michael in their life. We love the good Michaels of the world. There need to be more. Yes. And for her to not be absolutely terrified to go alone with a man somewhere after what just happened to her, I think mm -hmm. is a great reflection of his character. Definitely. Morgan couldn't avoid her parents forever, though. They were about to move across the country. So she called her parents on the last day, and they told her they had to go. The car was packed, and she had to come home. They weren't going to leave without her. When she got home and they asked what happened to her, she made up an excuse. She said there weren't seatbelts back then, and she said a teenage driver had slammed on the brakes and she'd flown into the dashboard. She told them she was fine, but she hadn't wanted them to see it, which is why she didn't come home right away. And even then, like, I'm not a parent, but if my child came home and said I was in, like, some, I, I was injured in this way, I would want to know more. I wouldn't just accept it, you right. know? Right, definitely. But, I, and, of course, parenting styles were much different back then. Yeah. I mean, she was gone for, like, four days before she moved, just staying at some guy's apartment. And I don't think that my parents would have been too happy with that at age yeah. 16. Yeah. But they accepted her explanation, and everyone got into the car. They then drove for 10 days with her ribs taped in the backseat of the car. I know. She was sad. Jesus. She was sad, frightened, and lonely. But her parents weren't alarmed by her state, because... They thought it was due to the move. She had just left everything she'd grown up with behind, so it, mm -hmm. that's what that's. They thought she was sad about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think again, not. I don't ever want to sound like I'm blaming people. I just want to share my feelings about things. I think that if you get to know your children better that that reaction probably that she was having was much more than a reaction for someone who was just moving. Yeah. Um, watch probably. your kids, know your kids, let them be open with you. Um, even if it's something that might have consequence, make sure that they know that it doesn't mean that you think that they're a terrible person or that you don't love them anymore. Get to know them, make sure they feel safe in all circumstances with you because something like this could happen and they wouldn't share it with you. Definitely. So she said, being young and naive, it never crossed my mind that he would hurt somebody else. He hated me and I thought this was just about him hating me. And looking back, that's not very smart. I should have known that he was a predator. I was 16. I didn't know that he would hurt somebody else. I honestly didn't. And this is another instance where I 
feel like she's blaming herself and it's mm-hmm. not fair to her. I hope she's okay, like, honestly. She was 16 years old at any age. Like, it's... How are you supposed to know? You know? Right. And how are you supposed to feel comfortable sharing something? Because sharing it is like reliving it. And although it is really good when you can try to bring people to justice, she did experience something with a cop who basically told her, like, and nothing's going to happen because it was your fault. Exactly. So it's like she's almost trying to over-explain her decisions to make people understand that she didn't do anything wrong and then blaming herself to make sure that people know that like she gets it which no none of this was her fault yeah from the start to the to the end none of it was her fault and i love Mm -hmm. you morgan and i'm sending you lots of love and gentle hugs and morgan didn't start telling her story until 2021 she kept it secret for 50 years oh my god yeah Holy shit. So she was almost in her 70s. Yeah. Oh, God. And we could go into so many different things based on off of that, but I think that when someone shares a story with you that is something that happened to them, your first reaction should always be to believe them and support them. Because when you don't, this is the type of stuff that happens. Yeah. People go unnoticed and alone with this immense trauma because they feel like no one gives a shit. Yeah. And that's not fair. Imagine how, like, isolating and just horrible. Right. And I would rather believe someone and then find out later that they were lying. And even though that would be upsetting, I would be much more upset to assume someone was lying and then find out later that they were telling the truth and that I was unsupportive to them for that whatever time period. Yeah. You know? I agree. I agree. So Morgan and her family were in New York for about a month when she got a letter from a girl who'd been there the night Rod attacked her. It included a newspaper clipping about Rod. He had raped and almost killed an eight-year-old girl. (gasps) Yeah. To Morgan, this was more painful than anything. She said she fell to her knees and begged the little girl to forgive her. She blamed herself. To her, it was her fault because she hadn't stopped him. And this is where I'm going to play a little clip from her. And it's... I might cry. <laughs> I'm, in te- I'm tearing up right now. And, uh, and I can tell myself now there's nothing I could have done, but yes, there is something I could have done. I could have gone back and I could have killed him. I could have saved all those women if I'd gone back there and killed him. Which, if she had gone back and tried to kill him, he probably would have killed her and she would not be on this earth. So, or if I know she she's had probably succeeded. not going to hear this, but like, yeah, if she succeeded, she would be just... In hell, basically. Right, and she or she'd be in jail and she'd be punished. <sighs> I know. Um, one of the biggest issues I have with the justice system is when it fails people and then they get their own justice and then it fails them again. Like the yeah. young lady, I think it was in Miami or Florida, who was basically a sex slave for this pimp and then she ended up killing him when she was like 16 or 17 and she ended up having to serve jail time after she was abused by him for her 
basically her entire life and pimped out by him. Yeah. And then she was punished in it. I'm trying not to cry. Um, It breaks my heart that Morgan feels like there was anything that she could have done. Because I think even at that point, if she would have gone or said something to the cops, it would have made the situation even worse. And she probably would be dead. And even if he did get charged with rape, the like, rape was not taken seriously back then. And we'll see that later on. He, there's one point where he does go to jail. He spends like a year and a half in jail for rape. So like, there's nothing that she could have done. Black people carrying a dime bag of weed go to jail for longer than rapists. And that is one of the most disgusting things in this world. Yeah. I, I, I wish I had better words. I just, I wish I could convince her or like implant it in her brain that it's not her fault because I, that hearing her voice and that pain and that she carried that by herself for 50 years. Like, I'm honestly, I'm surprised she's alive. Me too. With the, she's strong with the, as fuck, and I'm like so proud of her. I know that like my, I, my opinion doesn't really matter to her. I mean, it probably does, but like, anyways, I'm just so proud that she finally decided to speak up and like tell her story. She actually wrote a book that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, <gasps> that came out in 2023. I haven't read it because I just did all this last night, but I I plan on reading it. Um, yeah. But I'm just so glad she finally felt safe to do it. Me too, and I I hope it um, lifted some weight off of her shoulders. Yeah. And also I hope that she knows that even though she didn't or wasn't able to do anything back then, that sharing it now is going to help people in more ways than she can even imagine. Absolutely. Oh, Definitely. God, I just want to make her feel better. I know. Listening to people be that hurt, like, yeah, triggers something in me because that's not fair. Like, yeah, yeah, that whole episode is really tough to listen to. Yeah, but and I, I'm I'm so glad she uh, did that for herself. Me too. Holy shit, though! Wow, she's strong. That weight. Like, yeah. feeling the weight, I'm feeling just from hearing her say that. I can't imagine the, like, the amplification of that actually having gone through it for that. Yeah. F- the, going through it and then holding on to it for that long. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> I never thought I was going to cry on this show. I was going to make a joke and be like, the first, I wasn't the first one to cry. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be fine. You're putting on so much lotion, dude. I want to stay lotioned up. I, I've never seen you so moist. Don't say that word to me. Lotion me, Papa. Okay, so, you ready to get back into it? Yes, the tears have stopped for now. Right. Morgan wanted to help this little girl however she could, and... She still didn't want her parents to find out, 
So she, at 16 years old, did the best she could with what she had. She took handfuls of dimes to a payphone and called the LAPD. They asked her if she wanted to make a report, and she said no, she just wanted to help. She offered to testify if the case were, were to go to trial. The LAPD was unable to find a police report, so they directed her to West Hollywood. No police report was found there, so they directed her to the DA's office. And she told the secretary at the DA's office that there wasn't a police report, and she just wanted to offer help. And she told them she was willing to testify if that's what needed, that's what was needed to convict Rod. And the secretary told her she couldn't do anything without a police report, and that Morgan needed to call the police so they could send someone out to make a report. But Morgan was on the other side of the country in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. So she oh, basically just she just hit a dead end. Which, like, there's no police report for that? Well, it's... I feel like there should have been something noted, but yeah. since she wouldn't sign anything, it can't be an official report. And it's hard because I understand, like, I like the official, like, that it needs to be official. More yeah. emotion. Um, Shut up. <laughs> because I think it's really important that things are done a certain way. And I know that in court, like, there has to be a police report filed for you to be able to testify or do anything or there needs to be some sort of record but still it's like come on like yeah i just wish that she, the sorry i just wish the the cop would have taken her more seriously and been like and like sat and talked to her because that's not what it seems like happened it seemed like he was just right. like okay whatever bye Maybe if he would have listened, she would have felt more comfortable signing something or making a report, yeah. but he was a douche canoe, so she couldn't. But I think, I'm pretty sure that if she were to file a report in Rochester, it would be on file and they could provide it to LAPD. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously she didn't want to do that, which is totally fine. That's her prerogative. Um, uh -huh. So that's got to be so fucking frustrating. Not being yeah. able to help when that's all you want to do. Definitely. So let's talk about Tali. And we will talk about, we'll touch back on Morgan. But in 1968, Tali Shapiro was a little girl living in LA with her parents and her older brother. That year, their house had burned down, so they were staying at the Chateau Mermont. Normally, Tali caught a school bus to school every day. But because of their current living situation, she had to take a public bus. But she hated the public bus, so she would always get up super early and just walk to school instead. They they wanted her to ride the public bus to school at eight years old? Yeah. I'm sorry, I know that, that public transit's important to a lot of people and that there's a lot of people who can't take their kids to Not school an and whatnot. But at eight years old, a little no. eight-year-old girl. Yeah. That's just so fucking sad on september 25th 1968 tally started her walk to school like she did every day she was walking down sunset boulevard boulevard sunset boulevard towards her school and a man stopped trying to start a conversation with her she tried to blow him off as best as, her, as an eight-year-old can she told him she's not supposed to talk to strangers and he said i'm not a stranger i know your parents <gasps> ew 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 i know he offered her a ride to school, and even though she was hesitant, she got into his car. 
and as they were driving, he asked her what time school started, and she innocently, like, was honest with him and told him, and because of that, he knew he had lots of time before it was noticed that she was not at school, so... Right, and when you're eight years old and someone says, oh, I'm a friend of your parent, especially in the late 60s, what are you supposed... There weren't any messages back then about stranger danger. Yeah. You know, it's not like when we were in school. Do you remember how intense it was? And they were like, you need to have a passcode with your parents. Like, at one point, our elementary school, if you were picking up a kid, every kid had, like, a number assigned to them, and you had a little plaque that you had to put in your car window... And if someone else was coming to pick them up, they had to have that one. And it couldn't be a copy. It had to be the original one. I don't really remember that in my school, but I don't have a lot of memories from that, so. Well, and I think Warren's a bit smaller. Yeah, true. So, but it was, like, so intense. It was, like, only trust people if they you know, know the, the words, and then the whole thing came out with, like, don't put kids' names on backpacks and yeah. all that stuff. So, um, after she told him what time school started, he mentioned that he wanted to stop by his place so he could show her a beautiful poster that he had. <gasps> Ew. And, I know. And he's, she said, at which time the hairs on my arm stood up and I wanted to jump out of the car because this wasn't what he said we were going to do. He was going to take me to school, and now we were going to stop by his place. No, it wasn't part of the plan. Which, as an eight-year-old, that's pretty good intuition, honestly. Right. After they got to his house and walked through the front door, Tally doesn't remember anything that happened. So it's safe to assume she was attacked as soon as she walked through the door. And as far as I know, she still doesn't remember anything that happened, which is like a, a mercy, in my opinion. Like, it obviously still happened but she doesn't remember it. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like, is it a mercy or is it torture? To her, I think it depends on the person, but she's, to her, I feel like it's a mercy. Yeah, and did she, was she attacked right away or did her brain just save her and block it out all out, you know? I don't know. But um, when Tally got into this man's car, another man nearby noticed and thought the whole scene looked suspicious so he followed them when he watched her go into the house with the man he called the police when the police arrived and knocked on the door the man inside said he'd just gotten out of the shower and needed a minute to get dressed but when they heard the sounds of struggling and murmuring they decided to just kick the door down and upon entering they found tally covered in blood from a blow to her head with a metal bar across her neck which is the same metal bar that he attacked morgan with yuck yeah the police thought she was dead at first but after they took the metal bar off of her throat she started to breathe um another note for everyone see something say something yes you're not a narc you're not a snitch you're not a tattletale you're not overreacting if it looks weird it probably is weird I remember when I worked at the hospital, there was this young woman who came in and she was married to this gentleman who seemed to be a bit older and he gave me the heebie-jeebies. And every time (laughs) I walked in to that room or when I did go in to draw her blood and I was asking her questions and she wasn't talking much and he was talking for her, I said something to one of the nurses or the doctors, I can't remember who it was, and said, something's not right here and I'm pretty sure I ended up being right. So it's just... 
if you see something weird, say something. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if people get offended or whatnot. If I did something that looked weird, especially around a child, and you said something about me and then I got questioned and it turned out obviously I was doing nothing wrong because I would never, I would say thank you for being worried. Not, oh my God, I can't believe you would think. Right. It's, I just, that's, that's a big thing for me with yeah. anything. Children, other adults, whatever. See something, say something. Yep. So, while police were tending to Tally, the man had fled out the back door. They found his wallet in the house, and the license inside belonged to, and I'm not sure if you will recognize this name, but do you know who Rodney Alcala is? Yes, um... What's the dating his... game killer? Yes. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Oh my god, yeah. I have... So many chills. Ew, ew, ew. Vomit. Yep. Gross. Rodney Alcala is the guy who attacked Morgan and the guy who attacked Tally. And then went on to become the dating game killer. Yes. Jesus fucking Christ. He's like one of the most prolific serial killers from this time. Yeah. Oh, when you said that earlier, I was like, it's going to be a serial killer. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Oh my God. And... I'm not going to get into a lot of Rodney's other crimes in this episode, but in my next, the next episode that I have control over, I'm going to do a deep dive into his crimes and him. And that one's going to be brutal as well. So yeah, that motherfucker. <sighs> yeah. He's fucking so scary. I listened to a two part series about him today. Oh my God. He's so scary. He's very scary. I watched a documentary on him, and he is terrifying. I don't remember a ton of it. Sometimes serial killers kind of, like, meld together in my head. So I'm, um, excited is not the right word, but excited, for lack of a better term, to intrigued. relearn. Yes, intrigued. Yeah. Thank you. But, wow. And the fact that he started with, like, a 16-year-old girl and then an 8-year-old girl. Yeah. Like, gross. Yep. Absolutely repulsive. So, yeah, that's who we're dealing with here. Um, Tally was taken to the hospital, but doesn't remember anything. She needed more than 27 stitches for her head wound and was in a coma for 32 days. Jesus Christ. No wonder she doesn't remember anything. Holy right? fucking shit. Um, she said she remembers hearing at some point that she was being released because there was nothing they could do for her. It was a brain injury. So she was sent home to be cared for by her family. And in a coma. After she woke up from the coma. Okay. When she finally uh, like regained full consciousness, nothing was brought up. Her parents never talked with her about it. They just acted like it never happened. So she knew something had happened to her, but she never knew what. And allegedly a well-known psychiatrist at the time had told her parents not to bring it up unless she brought it up. No. Terrible advice. Absolutely Idiot. terrible. <laughs> now, yeah, you're, she's not going to all of a sudden say, Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. I'm awake now. And you're going to be like, This is what happened to you. But you would obviously be like, Hi, honey. How are you feeling? What are you thinking? Like, something. Yeah, acknowledge it. Somehow. Not just act like she wasn't just in a coma for 32 fucking days. Right. Wow. It's wild. I hope this psychologist no longer has a license. Agreed. 
Um, so shortly after the attack, um, Tally and her family moved to Mexico. This gave Tally the fresh start she needed, and she wasn't sure if, like, the attack was the catalyst for the move. They had talked about it previously, but, um, I guess her parents were, like, really intertwined with, like, the music and, um, movie business in LA. So it seems like the attack was, like, the push that really got them to move, you know? Right. Like the straw that broke the camel's back type thing. Exactly. Exactly. She says she was given the childhood that she deserved and her attack was never spoken about or brought up to her. And meanwhile, Rodney Alcala had disappeared. In 1971, four years after attacking Tally, he was added to the FBI's most wanted list. Campers at a New Hampshire summer camp saw the FBI list at their local post office and recognized Rodney's face, but they knew him as John, their camp counselor. This I know. dirty-ass motherfucker. Yeah, and I'm gonna get, oh. r- like, really deep into all this, but this is, like, a, an overview of, like, all this afterwards, but... I'll try not to were- ask too many questions that will be answered next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his alias was John Berger. <laughs> Makes me never want to eat a burger again. <laughs> also, like, what a horrible name. John Hi, my name's John, uh, b- Burger. <laughs> he was just looking and someone was eating a burger and that's what he saw. Right. Like you see in all those stupid movies. So they reported him and Rodney was charged with kidnapping, rape, child molestation, and torture. Tally's family didn't want to put her through the trauma, trauma of testifying. And without the victim's testimony, prosecutors pled the case down to just a child molestation, molestation, molestation charge the man who had nearly sorry go ahead the man who had nearly killed an eight-year-old only ended up serving 34 months like i said before the police knocked down the door and found her on the ground knocked the fuck out with a metal bar holding basically cutting off her airway yeah And then she was in a coma for 32 days. And they pled it down to that. I understand witness testimony is very helpful, but she would have been, what, 11 at that time? And she had no recollection, so it would not have made that much of a difference in the first place. Those fucking, that DA sucks. I hope you were disbarred. This is where I'm going to play a little clip of Tally speaking, and this is what kind of push me to play these clips because there's no way I could have said it better than she does in this. So let me pull it up real quick. And that fact alone is despicable because the court system knew, why are you going to pull an 11 year old person back into that scene, make them relive that when there's no doubt that that was me and that he did that to me? Why did it take the court system that I had to be there? That's disgusting and despicable. That seriously. Why bring that up to a child again, make that person relive that? That's disgusting. When fact is, DNA, it's all there. I was there. That was me. He did it. Oh, but it takes me being there? That's horrific. Seriously. Would it have taken me dying to have kept him in prison? Oh, I needed to die. I needed to not breathe again for them to put him away. Maybe. (laughs) Because I didn't come back to testify? That's disgusting. I I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh, yeah, let's make that child relive this, put her through hell. 
and oh, then maybe we'll put him away. By me not going to court, that, that was their decision. That's it doesn't take away any of the facts of what he did to me. That's I don't. That's something's wrong with the system. If that's what it takes. Egg, fucking, exactly. Yep. How dare the judge and the DA allow them to plea that down? Regardless of the rape charge, the torture charge, when they found that child laying in that house in the state that she was in, and then she didn't come out of a coma for over a month, and then she still not was fully functioning for however long after that, and he gets 34 months on a fucking plea deal? Are you kidding me? Yep. It's fucking ridiculous. While there are other people being held on charges that are false, or people who are haven't even been f- fully convicted of it, convicted, convicted. I'm so mad I can't even speak. <laughs> convicted of things yet that are sitting and rotting in jail cells, waiting yeah. for their day in court, and then this motherfucker gets 34 months. Are you? I can tell you right now. Me? I can tell you right now. If he looked a little different. He would have been jailed immediately. Fucking immediately. But yeah. because he was a, a semi-good-looking to some people, I thought he was ugly as fuck. Uh-huh. White man, he slipped through the cracks. He probably would have been shot. Yeah. He would have already yeah. been dead. As soon yeah. as they entered that home, someone would have looked at the child instead of everyone rushing to the child. If that person had reported that it was a person of color, or more specifically a black man... He would yes. have been shot. A hundred percent. But because they percent. couldn't put this child through torture by testifying, he only gets 34 months. Yeah. And then yeah. poor Morgan offered to testify and they wouldn't let her. <sighs> oh, I'm getting so angry. <laughs> um, so when Tally was 18, she got a call from her dad that brought back this horrible ordeal all of a sudden. He had called to tell her some detectives wanted to talk to her. Prosecutors wanted her help putting Rodney behind bars again. On July 24th, 1979, he had been arrested at his mother's house, this time for the murder of 12-year-old Robin Samso, a 12-year-old. Fucking disgusting. He had had raped, tortured, and almost killed a 16-year-old, and then the same thing with an 8-year-old. He got to yeah. continue on to do exactly. to fully murder a 12-year-old and then everything else that comes after that. Yeah, and we'll get into it in my next... My next episode is going to piss you the fuck off because this happens far too many fucking times. But I could just really, like, squeeze this microphone so hard that it would just crumble in my hands right now. <laughs> so while while they were searching his mom's home, they found a receipt for a storage unit in Washington. In the storage unit, they found thousands of photos of people, some young, some old, some nude, some in compromising positions. Along with the photos, they found many pieces of jewelry that investigators suspected were trophies from his victims. And the series that I listened to today, his big thing was earrings as trophies, and I thought of my whole earring rack, and I'm like, oh my god, don't touch my fucking earrings, you bitch. (laughs) You, oh god, and the whole trophy thing. Yeah. Like, beyond the whole disgusting fact that you are literally taking people's lives, I will never understand that. 
the fact that you need to remember it by taking something that belonged to them, most likely off of their dead body. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I said, but none of the jewelry were, were ever connected to Unsolved Murders. I don't know if I skipped that part, but... No, you didn't say that, but that's that really fucking sucks. Yeah. And there, there's still, like, a website where you can see... S- not all the photos have been released because, like I said, some were nude and, like, compromising positions, but there's some that are on, like, this website because they're still trying to identify people in the photos. But with the help of Tally's testimony, Rodney was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder of Robin Samso. And unfortunately, his conviction was overturned on appeal. And I'll get more into why this happened, but it was overturned and then he was retried sentenced to death again and then he was retried or no he was retried sentenced to death again it was overturned again and then he was sentenced to death again how the fuck did this motherfucker appeal his murder conviction oh twice oh i can't wait to tell you about all this but the first time he got fucking tried he only got 34 months yeah. Uh, you know how you know how rare it is for people's appeals to actually go through? And he did it yeah. twice? Mm-hmm. Where was he getting the money for this attorney? And what planet were they from? Because it wasn't this motherfucking one. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't imagine being a, a lawyer defending somebody like this. Or like trying to get Mm-mm. them. No. Oh, hell no. I, I could, could never. I don't think. That's why I could probably never be a defense attorney. Because I would not have any clients. <laughs> so over the years morgan had never forgotten about the little girl rodney had attacked the same year as her while tally got a call from the da's office morgan was completely blindsided when she saw rodney's face on the news she said quote one night his face just appeared on the news it said that he was on trial for murdering robin samso and i it was more than i could take i had a panic attack so bad i thought i was having a heart attack And she said she doesn't feel guilt about the other victims because she didn't lead them out of jail. She's she's not the reason why he got let out. She said nothing I could have done was going to give him a longer sentence. I cannot believe that they actually let him out again. Which I agreed. I think, especially, like, why is the charge for molestation of a child only 34 months? Um, I think that you should be executed immediately, and I'm going to stand on that opinion. Kill your local child molester. I would wear a t-shirt that said that. Burn them at the stake? Execution style. Stone them to death. Torture oh them. God. I don't Crush give a... them? <sighs> I would love to. <laughs> like with one of those giant pumpkins that people grow? Yes. So you watch them be squished and then the pumpkin explodes? Yes. Make it a spectacle. Love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so as Morgan watched the news coverage, they showed Tally on the witness stand and to Morgan, the eight year old girl finally had a name because all this time she never knew what the girl's name was. And Morgan said, and she was whole and she was beautiful and she wasn't hurt. I wonder if she felt a sense of like jealousy almost. No, she said it was like a beautiful moment and she was like extremely relieved to see that she was okay and that she was alive. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Um, So Morgan wanted to reach out to her, but there was no easy way to do that. She was just happy to see Tally alive and okay, like I said. But a chance encounter changed everything. Morgan has a a small group of people 
I think on like a social media platform um, that they um, are a group that talk about Sunset Strip and what it used to be like. And in this group, she said that it wasn't all wonderful, that Rodney had raped her when she was 16 years old. Her friend Tony in that group ended up sending her a message telling her Rodney had also attacked his eight-year-old neighbor in Mexico. And Morgan said, and I said, Tally Shapiro? And he said, yeah. And I said, you, kn you knew her? And he said, I know her now. So I said, will you please, please, I don't want to blindside her. Will you tell her that there's someone else that this happened to that would like to write to her? Please ask her if that's okay. And that's so sweet of her to not just be like, hey, give me like her email her or something, number, but to like yeah. be like, hey, see if she's comfortable with this. Definitely. So Tally agreed and Morgan spent a week trying to write this message, pouring her heart out, explaining how sorry she was. And if she could have done anything, she would have. She sent her the message on instant messenger. And this is a quote from Tally. I don't know if it was within her power to have stopped him or stopped him doing what he did to me. I feel love for her. She's grateful that I forgave her, but there's, there was nothing to be forgiven about. She did try in her own way to go to the police and the police kind of wrote her off as a groupie and you know, did nothing. Didn't even fill out a police report. And after a few setbacks due to the pandemic, Tally and Morgan finally met in 2021. Morgan and her husband traveled down to Palm Springs and they met at a restaurant. And Tally says- How beautiful. I know. Tally says, she just gave me the biggest hug and I was a little awkward because, you know, she knew me more than I knew her. And we've met several times since and she's just the biggest sweetheart. And Morgan says about this, I was waiting for her to drive in that driveway. My hands were shaking, I was crying, I was just a mess. She got out of that car and I practically knocked her over. I ran over and I just put my arms around her and I felt her put her arms around me and I just, it was wonderful. It was salvation, you know, it was just a beautiful feeling that she forgave me. As far as I oh. read, they are still friends to this day, which is beautiful. Oh, they, dude, I'm, I think all of the hair on my body is going to be permanently standing up from this episode, like how beautiful and how tragic to share such a thing. I know. And she's, uh, Morgan said that their friendship, friendship isn't even like, they'd never talk about Rodney. Like he's not part of their friendship. He's like gone from their friendship basically, which I think is really special to like right. have that connection, but you don't, it's not the only connection you have. You right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's all I have on the uh, Tally and Morgan survival story i will talk about them more in my next episode because it's part of the whole story but yeah dude the fact that he's such a well-known serial killer and i had no idea about all of this before he got his name mm -hmm. wow. wow yeah i i believe tally's attack well both of their attacks it was like about a decade before he went on the dating game Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So next episode, we'll hear about those, that decade in between. Yeah. Oh, I just want to hammer him in the skull. Actually, I don't even want to be that close to him. Ugh. Holy shit. That's, wow. That was a good as it, as it can be story. You know what I mean? Right. 
Um, and I also wanted to say, um, if you are experiencing something similar to this or you have or you, you just want to reach out for assistance, there is a phone number you can call. Um, it's the Rape, Rape Abuse and Incest National Network and it's 1-800-656-4673 and there's other resources on their website which is rainn.org. Good resources. Um, yeah. You know, and it's hard because it's hard hearing people's stories, but if you just need a friend, you can reach out to us. Um, don't bombard us with any, you know, details until we're ready because we want to be there for you, but things can be triggering. Um, yeah. But just know you're not alone and it's never your fault. Never, never. ever, ever, period, point blank. Um, and you deserve justice and they deserve justice. And I'm glad that from the sounds of it, they hopefully eventually get it. And wow, what a, what a fucking story. Yeah. And I think it's a, it gives a good perspective on how different people's survival can be. Like it's not all like a one size fits all thing. Like mm -hmm. Tally has said, I'm sure she's dealt with emotions towards this, obviously, but it seems like she's more like, how do I want to word it? She said that when she went to testify, she had no feelings towards him and she didn't exert any, any energy towards him. And it seems to me like Morgan felt enough emotion for the both of them. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So like, it's so, it's so different with each person. So like, just because you, your experience is a little different, doesn't mean it's wrong or like, right. Yeah. Right. It's almost like Tally had a disgust for him. Yeah. Whereas Morgan had a disgust and a fear and more elicited more of a response from him yeah. rather than knowing the experience happening happened. She remembers it and like, it just, like you said, experiences it differently. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Excuse me. That was a tough one, but I think it was important, so. Yes, very important. And I love when you share survivor stories and focus on the survivors. Yeah. And not the disgusting pigs. Definitely. Yes. All right, friends. So you can find us on Instagram at Educate Me Papa. You can find us on Educate Facebook at Educate Me Papa, the podcast. The podcast. <laughs> you can email us at EducateMePapa at gmail.com. Dot com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Freecreditreport.com. You could have seen it coming at me like an atom bomb. They monitor your credit. They send you email alerts. So you don't end up selling fish to tourists in t-shirts. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for Thank listening. Alright, y'all. See you next That's week. That's all, folks. See you then. Bye. Toodaloo. Bye.